to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. Uh, some of you have heard the story um, back a hundred years ago, it seems like now, uh, when uh, I was uh, going through uh, my ordination council, uh, one of the questions that uh, was presented to me uh, is, uh, what are the ordinances of the church? And I sat there and I fired off very quickly um, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And then I sat there for a minute and I said, and... And, and my mind was whirling around, um, and uh, what had happened was, some of you may remember uh, many years ago, he pastored over at Emmanuel for many years uh, and served as the uh, clerk for the association for 150 years, I think. Uh, Harry Moore had put together uh, all, a little booklet with all the minutes and the record, uh, the kind of a, a history uh, of, uh, of the Cabarrus Baptist Association, and I had uh, just finished reading through it, and right uh, in the middle of it, I, I still remember it, and, and I'm not going to say which church, uh, but uh, there was uh, a church uh, that was practicing the ordinance of foot washing, how it was written in the book. And the association had sent a, a committee down to talk to them uh, and tell them that was not uh, acceptable Baptist practice to practice that uh, as an ordinance. And I sat there a minute, and you could see the faces on the, around the table uh, as I was being examined. Like that nut's fixing to come up with a third ordinance. We did, you know, they were all just holding their breath to see what it was going to be because they didn't know what thoughts were going on in my head, and they they had no idea. Uh, what was about to come out of my mouth, but you could see the panic uh, on their face. And I finally I realized what was going on. That's it. That's all. There's just two ordinances uh, in the church uh, that uh, the Baptist church, and uh, generally speaking across uh, even denominational lines, uh, practice. Um, and again, that's not to say, uh, I'm not saying you can't do foot washing. I've been in services where they did, but it's not what is labeled as an ordinance. Uh, the only two ordinances in the church are uh, baptism, and uh, the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate today. And uh, I want to spend some time uh, talking this morning about uh, the observance, uh, even uh, I think a better word than saying we observe the Lord's Supper uh, is to say we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. I think that's really uh, a better term because, uh, again, Jesus tells us that uh, we do this in remembrance uh, of Him. And while uh, we do think about his uh, crucifixion and his suffering uh, as a horrible event, it is a celebration uh, for you and I. Uh, if you know Christ as your Savior, uh, we can celebrate uh, that because it is that sacrifice uh, that brought us uh, our salvation, that enabled us uh, to have uh, the promise uh, of salvation, the uh, promise uh, of eternal life. And so uh, I think a, a more accurate word uh, is the, uh, the word celebrate. It is, uh, or certainly should be. Uh, I'm not sure it always is. Uh, it should be 
an extremely uh, important, uh, meaningful uh, event uh, in, a, in the life uh, of a believer. Uh, and that's part of the reason uh, I wanted to, this morning, uh, do it just a little bit differently uh, than so many times uh, we uh, have the Lord's Supper. Many times we have uh, just a regular service, do our uh, regular thing, uh, and then at the end, oh, by the way, um, Let's do the Lord's Supper, uh, much the way uh, I like to practice baptism. Instead of uh, tacking it on at the end of a service uh, like it's an afterthought, I like, uh, as you've noticed over the years, I like for it to be a central part uh, of the service. It's an important uh, event. If it's not important to anybody else, uh, it's important to the person being uh, baptized. And the Lord's Supper uh, should be... I think a meaningful uh, and important uh, event in the life uh, of a believer. And so as we look at this this morning, uh, again, and we think about the Lord's Supper, uh, and think about what it is, uh, again, we can find uh, in the Lord's Supper a reminder uh, of the reasoning uh, for the very existence uh, of a believer. Uh, You are a believer uh, because of, of the broken body uh, and the shed blood uh, of Jesus Christ. And uh, and so that, again, leads us to say uh, that is a celebration. I want to, again, look at this passage. Paul uh, wrote to the church... Uh, at uh, Corinth here in the, in the 11th chapter, uh, and, and he talks a good deal uh, about the Lord's Supper. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, the church at Corinth was having uh, some difficulty uh, around the Lord's Supper. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's a little hard to actually uh, nail down the real issue uh, because I, I don't think... Uh, that the church at Corinth uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper uh, with uh, these little cups from uh, the Christian supply shop. Uh, it was a different uh, celebration. It was done differently. Um, there, there's a good indication uh, that the church in the early church, uh, actually the question sometimes comes up, uh, how often should we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper? There's a good indication uh, that the early church church literally uh, practiced the Lord's Supper uh, every day, uh, that it was a daily event uh, in, in the early church. There are churches today uh, who every Sunday uh, practice, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, typically over time, uh, Baptists have uh, chosen and used uh, any Sunday that had a fifth Sunday, uh, we have taken that fifth Sunday uh, and celebrated communion. And I, and I don't know uh, the exact reason. The only reason I can come up with is because I don't think it's possible uh, that, uh, that, ev- that, that every three months on the standard calendar, there's going to be a, one of those months is going to have five Sundays in it. And so by saying we're going to do it on the fifth Sunday, we end up doing the Lord's Supper once a quarter. Uh, That's the only logic I can come up with for the fifth Sunday. It's not holier than the other Sundays, uh, but it does get us on uh, a rotation. Now, some of you have noticed um, I avoid that practice just because I don't want it to become uh, a routine. 
I don't want it to become, okay, it's the fifth Sunday, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. This is the fifth Sunday. It just worked out that way. Get over it. Uh, but uh, I, I like to mix it in. We've done it at night. We've done it different ways uh, because I, I, I like to keep it, uh, I like for it to be, I don't want it to become uh, a rut, uh, a routine. You know what a rut is, right? A rut is a grave that's open on both ends. Uh, I don't want it to be a, a, a rut or a routine. I want it to, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want it to stir uh, in me, uh, and hopefully you, uh, a, a fresh remembrance of what Jesus Christ uh, did for us at, at Calvary. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the symbolism and, and what exactly it is uh, that uh, the Lord's Supper uh, represents. And uh, again, it should be a, uh, a special time. It should be a, uh, a, a wonderful time. Um, and that uh, we look forward uh, to being able to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper because, first of all, uh, it is a time of confession. Uh, it is a time uh, of consciousness. Look what uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians there uh, in verse 24. It says, When he gave thanks and broke it, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant uh, in my blood. Do this as you often drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death uh, till He comes. Uh, and so uh, the Lord's Supper, He says, this do in remembrance of me. He wants us, I, I believe the service, uh, the celebration of the Lord's service uh, is to bring awareness, uh, to bring to consciousness, to bring uh, attention to uh, several things. One of them uh, is to be uh, bring to our consciousness, our remembrance, uh, the suffering uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, everything about the Lord's Supper points us back uh, to the crucifixion, the broken body, the broken bread, the juice, the shed blood, uh, that everything about uh, the elements that we celebrate points us back and reminds us, and, uh, and again, as, as Christians, uh, certainly we, um, on various occasions, things come up. Uh, Easter, uh, there, there are other times, many times at Christmas, uh, we talk about how the, the purpose of Christmas uh, was so Christ could be born and ultimately uh, crucified. There are a lot of things uh, during our our daily walk, uh, we will uh, occasionally, uh, you know, you'll see a picture of a cross or uh, we'll sing the old rugged cross. And, you know, a lot of songs uh, mention his suffering. Uh, but this is a day, this is a service, this is an uh, event uh, that Christ says that we, of all the other, generally uh, when we talk about the suffering of Christ, it is mixed in with some other things. Uh, the Lord's Supper is an event that is focused, uh, laser focused to remind us uh, of the penalty uh, of sin. To remind us uh, of the fact uh, that the wages of sin are death. 
uh, that we deserve to be on the cross, that we deserve uh, that, uh, that crucifixion, but Jesus Christ came to earth uh, and walked among men, ultimately being crucified and suffering a, a sinner's death, suffering with thieves uh, so that you and I wouldn't have to. Uh, this service uh, is a time, uh, again, of consciousness that, that, that we, we, again, our, our mind uh, focuses in. Uh, you know, uh, we can't, uh, we, we, listen, y'all know, I've been here long enough now, y'all know. Uh, some of those, some, you know, I don't particularly care. I haven't had a communion wafer in my almost 58, I had to think about it for a minute, almost 58 years. I haven't had a communion wafer in 58 years where I thought, hey, that was pretty good. May I have another? I've actually had some that I thought, I'm not going to be able to get this down. Yeah, we had some while back. I didn't know they made I thought all communion wafers were crispy. A year or so ago, I, and I went back and looked at the box later, and I think it said chewy or soft or something. And those things were hard. If y'all remember those, those things were terrible. I thought I had a piece of bubble gum. Yeah, listen, it's easy in communion. I, 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 I've shared with you before, you know, I, I'm not going to, y'all know this, there's no use in me telling a story about it. When I was a kid growing up and I would come in to church and I would see that the church was set up for communion, first thought went through my head, oh Lord, we're going to be here an extra 20 minutes. Yeah. I said, yeah, it's easy for us to be distracted and focus on other things. It will be easy this morning for us to get focused on these aggravating little cups and how we have always done communion, but we're not able to now. It would be easy, and Satan would love that. It would be easy for us to get focused on a lot of things. But Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. We should be more conscious this morning of the suffering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ than at any other point. We're, again, holding in our hand symbols. We don't believe like the Catholics that this juice turns into the literal blood and that the wafer turns into the literal body. But we're holding in our hand literal symbols, reminders, when you open this up and you pull out that little wafer, that little piece of bread is to remind you that Jesus Christ, as the bread of life, was broken for your sin. As you pull off that top and you take that little sip of juice, it is to remind you that His blood, every drop of His blood ran down on Calvary's hill for your sin. It is to bring consciousness of His suffering. Not just to bring consciousness of His suffering, of the, the price that He paid. But then, look, notice what He says in verse 26. When, when Jesus 
died. Notice again that, that verse, verse uh, 26. I've got to find it here. The dot, the verse name numbers in this Bible are too small for me to see. Look what he says in verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We don't just, we're not just conscious today of his suffering. We should be conscious of his success. See, he didn't just suffer. He didn't just die. Three days later, he was resurrected. And when his friends and his disciples arrived at the tomb, they found an empty tomb. They found that he was risen. They heard him. They saw him. They touched him. They talked with him. Listen, there, there are those today who would tell us <coughs> that Jesus Christ didn't truly raise for them, that his disciples stole his body and hid it away. I don't have complete time or the energy to go into the complete defense of that. But let me just tell you a couple things about that. History tells us that every one of the disciples, except Judas obviously, every one of the disciples would die a horrible martyr's death. Specifically, Peter was crucified upside down. They were going to crucify him, and he said, I don't deserve to die like my Savior. Crucify me upside down. They were stoned. They were killed in various horrible ways. For what? For preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Had these men stolen the body, you cannot convince me that one of them being faced with crucifixion, stoning, whatever form of death that they had come up with, that one of those disciples would have said, well, wait a minute, I've changed my mind. They died for something they believed in, something they knew. Even the man we call Doubting Thomas, and I have a problem with that name for Thomas, by the way, says, I want to touch him. Jesus comes into the room, the Bible says he held out his hands, Thomas was able to touch him and handle him, and he said, my Lord, he realized, he recognized that Jesus Christ was alive. Had the Romans stolen his body, like some said, when the Christians, the early church, began to preach the gospel and the resurrection, do you know what the Romans would have done? They would have let them preach for about a week about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then they would have drug out his body and said, you're crazy, you're lying. Had the Jews hidden his body, there would be some kind of shrine. But instead, it's all we have is the witness of all the people in God's Word, on numerous occasions, that Jesus Christ is alive. And that Jesus Christ that is alive said, you, when we celebrate this service, we should be conscious, what? Till I come. 
of his success. It should remind us, listen, we may celebrate communion and we may celebrate and talk about broken body and shed blood, but I want you to know that that was not the end of the story. This service makes us conscious of His suffering. It makes us conscious of His success. It makes us conscious of His statements. Again, He said, and this piggybacks off of what I was just talking about. He says, you do this, you show my death till I come. We should be conscious, we should be more aware of the statements that He said. The, the statements that were made by him and about him. In the book of Hebrews, we read these words. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The work was complete. The work was done. Listen, he told him in John, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, I go uh, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Listen, that's what we do today. We're not gathered here. You know, it's interesting. We do this in funerals oftentimes. When we have the funeral of a person we believe to be a Christian who has lived a godly life, we'll say things like, well, I'll see them again. They're not really dead. They're just going to be with the Lord. You know those statements we make. Right? Listen, as we gather here today and we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we have the juice and the bread in front of us, we're reminded of His statements that He said, I will come again in Acts. It says when He had spoken these things while they were held, He was taken up on a cloud and received out of their sight while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, the whole two men stood by them and said, You men of Galilee, why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that is taken from you shall come again in like manner as you have seen him go. See, the Lord's Supper, I believe, is not just to make us conscious of his death to make us conscious of His life and to make us conscious of His soon return. See, here is one of the thoughts that run through my head anytime I take part in the Lord's Supper. This could be the last time on this earth. This could be my last celebration of the Lord's Supper. My next meal might be with Jesus because he said, I will come again. Conscious of his suffering, conscious of his success, conscious of his statements. It's a time of consciousness. Let's get down where the rubber really hits the road here in what Paul says to the Corinthians. It's also a time of confession. It's a time of confession. There is nothing, hear me, 
In this room, online, hear me carefully. I know I joke about the wafers. I joke about coming into community, Lord's Supper as a child. But hear this very carefully. There is nothing that will ever take place in a church more serious than the Lord's Supper. I know for some good Baptist, they think it's the next business meeting. And I'm not trying to diminish the importance of conducting honorably the business of the church. I'm not trying to diminish the importance of baptism or of preaching or of singing or of fellowship. All those things are things that God's Word describes that the body of Christ are to be about. And they should be part, and they should be done right, and they should be done in a way that honors God. But the Lord's Supper is the most serious thing we will do. And I say that because Paul describes and talks about to the Corinthian church an important part of the Lord's Supper that as Baptists we don't like to talk about. We would prefer to spiritualize it, make it symbolic, or just ignore it in general. But here it is. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and eat eat the bread, drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak Many of you are sick, and some are asleep, or some have died. May I ask you a question? How many people in here believe? And I, I'm not asking you. I, I know, I'm not asking you to judge. It's just, it's just a vote. It's just an opinion. How many of you in here believe that people have been baptized who were not truly saved? Show me in the Word of God where it says being baptized unworthily, some are sick, some are dead. Can't do it. How many of you believe some have come into worship services and acted inappropriately, done things they shouldn't have, whatever? Show me in the Word of God where it says because of that, they're sick or dead. As I said, there's nothing more serious that we do than celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
He says, some of you have done it unworthily. Some of you are sick. Some of you are weak. Some of you, the King James says, are asleep. Let me, and I think most of you know this, but let me, let me tell you what the word, sleep does not mean what many of you are going to do this afternoon after lunch. Sleep means what folks up at Carolina Memorial are doing. Sleep means dead. I heard Tony Evans years ago preach a sermon, How Dead is Dead. Graveyard dead. That's what Paul says. This is serious. There is to be consciousness. There is to be confession. I'm going to paint with a broad brush here. Paul says those who have taken part in the Lord's Supper unworthily, some are sick, some are weak, and some are dead. What exactly does he mean by the term unworthy? I don't have time to completely unpack that word. So, what I'm going to do is speak broadly on my knowledge and awareness of what the New Testament teaches. And I'm going to assume, because this applies specifically to believers, that you are aware of the teaching of the New Testament. And I'm trying, again, to be very deliberate and very careful because, again, I believe this is the most, ser most serious thing I can talk about. One, it's a time of confession because of our attitudes. Because of our attitudes. Look in verse 17. Paul says, some of you come together, and he says, he says, I hear there are divisions among you. I hear there are divisions. Verse 19, the word that he uses there, he says there must be factions, is the word, that it, what it means. Then he goes down here and he says, in eating... Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. The Lord's Supper was practiced a little differently then. It was more like a meal. And what Paul says is some of you are coming together and you're letting the poor and the hungry go hungry because you're selfish and self-centered. You have no compassion on those around you. What is that? That is an attitude. That is an attitude. And then he proceeds, as you go through that chapter, to talk about examining yourself. So one of the things he wants us to examine is our attitude. I'm giving you a minute to examine your attitude. He wants us to think about our attitude. Our attitude 
towards others. Our attitude towards the church. Our attitude towards God. You know, I don't know how many attitudes a person can have at one time. My experience is a bunch. But what goes on in our mind? And Paul specifically here talks about selfishness and selflessness. The attitude of putting others before ourselves. If you go through the New Testament, again, I'm not going to take that time this morning to go through the entire New Testament. But if you go through the New Testament, and many of you here, you can recall and think about various passages where the Bible talks about uh, putting others before yourself. The Lord's Supper is a day that we come together and we focus on confession. I love the song that Tommy sings. I don't have a clue what the name of it is. My House. I don't know if that's the name of it or not. Where he talks about Jesus coming over and going through the house. Sure, you can go in this room. Sure, you can go in that room. Sure, you Oh, no, you can't go in that room. You can't look in that drawer. You can't open that closet in my life. The Lord's Supper is a day we allow Jesus in every room, in every drawer, to examine every thought, every attitude, everything that goes on in our mind. See, some of us have bought into the lie of Satan that says it really only matters what you do. But I remember in the Scripture it says, as a man thinketh. I remember in Scripture it says, guard your It says, have the mind of Christ. It is a time when we look at our attitudes. We look at our attitude towards each other. We look at our attitude towards those who don't know Jesus Christ. You know, I've heard supposed Christians make some of the nastiest comments about people who don't know Jesus. We need to remember that once upon a time we were in those same shoes. Obviously, we confess not only our attitudes, but our actions. Our actions, again, for what they were doing. These verses, again, give us a very serious picture of the Lord's Supper. 
Let me ask you to think about something for a moment. <clears throat> and I realize I'm treading on dangerous territory right here. But go with me. You know, maybe don't follow me too close because I know I'm on dangerous ground. But I want you for a moment to imagine, presume in your mind that you are God. For some of you, that won't be real hard. And imagine that you sent your only son to die for man. Put your, simply put yourself in God's shoes. And your son came and was beaten, rejected, spat on, crucified, hung on a cross, crown of thorns, side pierced, ridiculed, clothes gambled over, and you set up a service, you set up a memorial for your son. And a bunch of yahoos show up and make light of that memorial service. Maybe that's too hard for you to do. Maybe you're not even comfortable putting yourself in that position. Let's say someone close to you, one of your family members, a parent, a child, a grandchild, a grandparent, they've passed away, and you go and you go into the church, or you go into the chapel at the funeral home, and you get ready to have their their, their funeral, their memorial service, and some knucklehead comes in and makes a mockery of that service. How do you react? Do you understand this morning that the Lord's Supper is just that? It's the memorial service for the sacrifice of God's Son. And he says, this is my main concern. I don't care what kind of shoes you wear. I don't care what kind of clothes you've got on, what your hair looks like, but I do care about your attitude and your actions. Don't be part unworthy. Listen, the Lord's Supper in Corinth wasn't being taken seriously. It wasn't being handled correctly. And God sends Paul to speak. It's a time of consciousness. It's a time of confession. It's a time of commitment. One of the things that the juice and the bread reminds us is of the commitment of Jesus Christ. I don't remember how the little story goes. But some of you some of you probably heard it, and you'll, you'll remember it good enough to get the point. You've heard about the deal with the breakfast, right? With breakfast, the chicken makes an offering, the pig makes a sacrifice. Chicken makes an offering, but the pig makes a sacrifice. Jesus gave everything. This service is a reminder of the commitment that Jesus Christ made. 
and the commitment we are expected to make. Let's talk about that for a minute. Our promises. Our promises. What have you promised the Lord that you haven't done? You remember that time in the hospital when you said, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this. That time when your checkbook was busted. Lord, you'll just help me through this mess. Get rid of all these zeros, then I'll... That church service where you walk down the aisle and you said, I want to be saved and I want to live for you, I want to commit myself to you. Have you carried through on that? He did his part. He saved. He cleansed you. He wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. But are you doing what you... Are you serving Him? Are you committed to Him? Our promises, our purpose... Are we committed to our purpose? Let me tell you something. Every person in this room, if you're a child of God, you have a purpose. If you didn't have a purpose, you wouldn't be here. God would have done took you out of here. Do this. If you feel something going through, through, do this. If you feel air moving, God's still got a purpose for you. Let's commit ourselves to doing the purpose. Let me give you some broad topics. Our purpose there's a world that's lost without Jesus Christ and getting lostster. I'm not sure that's a word, but it's getting lostster by the moment. Our commitment, our purpose, a church that is only as a church whose future is only as bright as our commitment. I hear people say that sometimes. What in the world will happen to the church in X number of years? I don't know. It's up to you. It's up to me. It's up to us. Our commitment. Listen. This is a great time. A great morning. A great day. For us to bring ourselves before Jesus. Our trials our valleys, our defeats, our discouragement, our pain, our suffering, our problems. You know what this day does? You know what this juice and this bread does? It reminds me that God hasn't forgotten me. It reminds me that I'm not alone. It reminds me that it doesn't depend on me. That as we sing in the old song, Jesus paid it all. It reminds me.
It reminds me. Before we fill open these cups, before we have the time at the table, we probably should have a time at the altar. Examining ourselves, allowing God to examine each of us. This morning our invitation goes in several directions. First, foremost, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know the Christ of communion who died for you, who shed his blood for you, who wants to save you. Whether you're here, whether you're online, you can be saved today. You need to come. Let me show you from God's Word. Online call, email, reach out. Be glad to sit down and talk to you about how you can know Christ personally, how you can have him as your Lord and Savior. If you're saved already, but there's things in your life that need examining and need dealing with, this morning you need to deal with them and bring them to the Lord. And finally, and I don't think we think of this aspect of the Lord's Supper very often, but this morning if you're in a storm, if you're being tossed around, this broken body and juice in that empty tomb reminds us that there's victory in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. Would you bring your brokenness, would you bring your hurt and lay it on the altar this morning? Would you bring it to Him today? As we bow. Father, we thank You today for Your Word. We thank you today for allowing us this time together to look into your word, to consider this great celebration that you have given your church. And God, we pray this morning that we'll examine ourselves, look into our hearts, allow you into every room, every drawer, every closet, Show us anything that's unpleasing, that needs to be dealt with, confessed and removed. God, if there's one that's listening, one that's here, that doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that you'll stir their heart today. That they'll see their need and they'll come to, to know Jesus Christ personally. God, have your way in our invitation this morning. We'll give you the honor for it all. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen.